When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to The Political Party. This one features Conservative MP Heidi Allen. Heidi's only been an MP for three years and has already had a huge impact. Um, Not just in policy terms, but just in terms of her own personal reputation and how different she is to many of her colleagues, not just inside the Tory party, but in Parliament. And that's something that really comes out in this interview. For all I despair, and a lot of people do, about the state of things and the direction of the country and the state of the Tory party... uh, There is a glimmer of hope there, and not just in Heidi, many of the other people that we've had on the show as well, but she absolutely understands what what people require of politicians these days and why the problems exist. And she's got an optimism and and a clarity about life that is very, very refreshing and... You know, we often focus on the Labour Party and that comes out because of the, the, the state the Labour Party's in. But the Tory party's in an absolute mess as well. Um, and she provides, she provides that light, that hope that actually it's not just the Labour Party that needs to sort its act out. If the Tory party sorts its act out as well, things could be so much better for everyone. So there, there's a real optimism that comes through this, despite the fact that she's a Remainer, despite the fact she probably isn't entirely in tune with the current direction of her party. So, oddly, for such negative times, there's a real there's a real optimism to this. Heidi's fantastic, very funny, very open, very honest, uh, completely refreshing, and uh, you're going to love it. Um, so I won't say any more. Um, oh, you can... Well, what I will say is the two big votes coming up. Of course, the local elections on May the 3rd, but even bigger. You can vote for the political party at the British Podcast Awards for the listener's choice. That's britishpodcastawards.com. You could do it now while you're listening. You just do it on your phone or your laptop. Um, and also, if you could, and I know I always ask it, I know people get annoyed, but subscribe to the show, leave a review. It helps us get up the charts, helps other people find it, and that just helps getting guests and everything else. It helps keep the show going. Um, and just tell people about it if you can. Try and get a friend to listen to it. Obviously, I'm doing this every week now, so I'm really keen to just grow the show and make it as good as it can possibly be. Um, so, electioneering over. Uh, enjoy The Political Party with Heidi Allen. Everyone, hello. Hello, how are you doing? Give me a cheer if you've been to the political party before. Yay! Excellent. Give me a cheer if you're a newcomer. Excellent, some newcomers, welcome to the show. Uh, this is the last show before the local elections. Feel the excitement in the air. So let's just ta- let's just take a quick poll. Uh, give me a cheer if in this year's local elections you're going to vote Labour. <laughs> Conservative. Yay! Liberal Democrat. Yay! This is not a fair sample, is it? This is... <laughs> UKIP. <laughs> oh, there's still one left. Brilliant. Green. Yay! Oh, well done. Uh, anything else? Indep- any independents? Well, it was said with the, that, that you might actually be a candidate. Do we have any candidates in the room? There's definitely a few shy people in here. Well, well I'm surprised at how little... Labor of the, uh, so, 
If Jeremy Corbyn wasn't leader, mm. give me a cheer if you would vote Labour in these elections. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> we come to the right place anyway, so uh, we, we can be friends. That's cool. Uh, and happy St. Happy St. George's Day. Uh, happy St. George's Week. Does anyone celebrate St. George's Day? No. no. <laughs> One no from I swear the same guy who said he voted UKIP. But, uh, very confused people around these days. Uh, I didn't celebrate it. Did anyone... Oh, and the royal baby as well? People excited about the royal baby? No. No, no, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm not excited at all. I mean, I don't mind people getting excited about it. It's fine. I just don't understand where people get the suits made out of flags. Or why... I've never tried a suit on and gone, it's very nice. I like the fabric in the cut. Have you got this in Union Jack? I just feel like camping outside a hospital at some point in the near future. But fair play to the people that do it. Of course, uh, St George's Day, particularly on the left, is a bit of an issue, isn't it? And uh, in the Labour Party, there's a new movement uh, called um, the English Labour Network, ELN. They didn't want to go Labour English Network. That would have been Len, and uh, he's caused enough trouble as it is. Uh, <laughs> it's called For Labour England and St George, and I'm sure you've all read it. Um, but there are parts of this report that are... Now, fair dues to parts of the Labour Party trying to get a progressive sense of what Englishness is, right? Maybe. But some of this is is off the scale ludicrous, right? So um, I've read it so that you don't have to. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit here, and this has got to be... See if you can spot who you think this is a barb aimed at. Uh, this is called Labour Members in the English Identity. So this is a question for Labour activists. If you see St. A St George's Cross on a private house... <laughs> the Thornbury test. Do you, A, think the householder is proud to be English? B, assume that the householder is a right-wing racist? <laughs> or C, feel you will have very little in common with them, and why? Um, obviously, B and C aren't necessarily mutually exclusive in the Labour Party these days. Um, I suppose it depends, doesn't it? You know, does it have a JJB logo on it? Is it during a tournament? Um, caveats not covered in the paper. Uh, these are all points of discussion. There are other points here that are... I mean, this one. Oh, my God, I love this. This is your part of England, it's called. And here it says, Ask yourself, as a Labour activist, what opportunities are there to show the St George's flag more widely in your area, including local authority, religious, and other public buildings? <laughs> that's, that's not going to end well, is it? I don't think that's a good idea to send Labour activists out there looking at buildings with ideas... Makes it sound like some sort of guerrilla Fathers for Justice style campaign. <laughs> oh, we put a St George's cross over the local mosque. I don't know what all the fuss is about. <laughs> People can't take a joke, can they? Uh, now this, this is, this is the piece of resistance. This is uh, top tips for campaigning. And the first tip is called, don't forget to call it England. <laughs> Genuinely. Labour's single biggest problem is that we often don't mention England, even when we're talking about England. <laughs> Who the fuck is going to forget to talk about... Yeah, I'm campaigning for Labour in... Um, oh, where is it? Not Scotland. Similar to Scotland, but... Um, we trash more kebab shops and qualify for things. Uh, England, that's it. England, yeah. I'll give you both there, didn't I? Prone and anti, so calm down. Uh, there's a bit here as well. It says, tell a story of your place, your England, and of Britain. Develop a consistent story to describe your local area that links the place, England, and if possible, Britain. For example, the people of X-Town made goods sold around the world, making England and Britain strong. Labour will support the people of X-Town to make the country prosperous and strong again. And obviously, an area where nationalism is a problem, a lot of them are X-Towns. Uh, and have <laughs> been left behind. There's a dark irony to this. Uh, 
And that surely will only work in certain... I mean, if you're campaigning in Luton, it's quite hard to make a positive case, isn't it? Oh, Luton's exported many things, like um, radical Islamic terror and far-right nationalism and... Uh, something that will make England strong again. I think that was all that... Um, Oh, no. The, oh, that was it. Fucking hell. So I thought I'll check the public response to this because Labour activists have been confused. So the, the Sun ran this story big. And there were lots of comments uh, on the Sun website underneath this story about Labour telling their activists to remember to call it England. Um, now, this one from Mary Haywood. I can't tell whether she's being sarcastic or not. England, 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 England. And England, 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 England. I live in England. <laughs> I also wear a crucifix. So Merry Christmas. A girl is a girl and a boy is a boy. And that's because I live in England. <laughs> Fuck knows what's going on out there. This guy, a guy called Dwayne Pipe, who I hope is his real name. <laughs> Dwayne Pipe. This is all he said. Corbin Laden won't even sing the national anthem. <laughs> Corbin Laden. Bad nickname, isn't it? Better than Blyer. Um, this guy, now this guy, there's a real lack of humour in parts of this Sunday discussion. One guy says, the problem for these people is that once they start down the road of political correctness, they never end. There are no limits, like the animal rights mob, who will release hundreds of mink from a farm to devastate local wildlife, yet justify it as saving the mink. They instantly jump to insults and name-calling, these lefties. This is a man who calls himself Agent Knob. <laughs> I'm sick of people taking the piss out of me. Uh, this one here, my God, this is phenomenal. The moment we get a Mohammed Day or a ban on meat, unless it has been ruthlessly killed, I will leave this country. <laughs> There's no suggestion of a Mohammed Day, as far as I'm aware. Uh, you keep going, he'll be able to confirm that. There's no... Uh, <laughs> No campaign as far as I'm aware. And why would he... I mean, I get the halal thing, but it's the way he's expressed it. Unless it has been ruthlessly killed. I'll have the soup to start and the steak. Oh, sorry, can I just check? Has it been ruthlessly killed? I don't want anyone saying prayers over it. It really puts me off. Um, and there's one here that says, All this talk about St George's Day is just a distraction from the Zionist conspiracy to fund the world through the Rothschilds. And that's from a Jay Corbyn of Islington. Um, got there in the end. So happy St George's Day, everyone. Uh, plenty of other stuff going on. Uh, UKIP, actually, we're out in Croydon uh, celebrating St George's Day. There's a great article in the Croydon Advertiser. Uh, some UKIP uh, people went out and apparently educated the people about who St George really was, which must have been a problem for them because he was Turkish. <laughs> There's been a few confused UKIP activists out there going, yeah, he's a patron saint of England, he's from Turkey. Hang on, what did you just say, Terry? <laughs> not so keen on this bloke anymore. They said uh, the leader of the UKIP group in Croydon said that everyone should mark St George's Day with a day of commemoration. He was then asked if he was going to do it. He said, I can't do it this year, I'm too busy, I'm at work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apart from me, mate, I've got stuff going on, but you lot should celebrate it. Um, there is, as there always is, uh, controversy at the moment about a Labour candidate being abusive. Now, which one, you may ask, indeed? Well, I've narrowed it down to the most amusing. Uh, Labour's candidate in Wellin Hatfield. Does anyone live in that constituency? Yeah. Oh, fuck me, have you heard about Tara? This is fucking amazing. Tara Mary Lyons is Labour's candidate. Now, people have been going back through her tweets, as happens uh, these days when people get selected. And um, here are some of her, her tweets. So this, this is the first one. Apparently, it's not politically correct to refer to children as those little sons of bitches. That's <laughs> <laughs> quite like her, right? Another one the other day. I'm in the mood to beat up Prince William. <laughs> it's growing on me, actually. Yeah. This one's actually quite good. Next time someone looks over my shoulder at work, 
I will open up a new tab and start searching how to kill your colleagues. <laughs> Get well at Labour Red Office. Uh, now, um, the local paper... Uh, uh, to be fair, I don't think these are sort of dispellable, uh, you know, um, punishable offences. Um, but the local paper has drawn up a list of all the people that at Tara to go has suggested killing. Because um, apparently she, she, she resorts to murder a lot on social media. Um, first on the list, Sky Broadband customer service staff. <laughs> yeah. A few claps of recognition in the room. I should get her on, actually, shouldn't I? Here's another one. Good honour. People who request a read receipt for their email. <laughs> this is the sort of populism Britain's been crying out for. I love this one. People who have Carpe Diem tattoos. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. <laughs> People who claim video games make you violent. I mean, her Twitter feed would, so... Uh, not this is good. The person who got the wrong number at 4am. Someone making a drilling sound next door. And then these last three are very bleak. Friends and family. <laughs> Colleagues. Everyone. <laughs> You may well have seen that Emmanuel Macron has been uh, trotting the global stage this week. Friends with Donald Trump, and there's a brilliant bit in the latest press conference with Donald Trump and Macron where Donald Trump stops speaking because we do have, we have a very special relationship and we do. And he reaches over to Macron and goes, I'm just going to move that dandruff off your shoulder. <laughs> it's genuine, it's on the thing. Like, whatever you think of George W. Bush, he would never have done that. <laughs> we respect the sacrifice of British soldiers for making alongside American forces in Iraq. And I just want to say to you, Tony Blair, your breath stinks like shit, man. <laughs> really got to start using their call gear. The disrespect of it. Uh, but Trump is coming to the UK in, uh, in June or July, we've been told, which means that his visit could coincide with the World Cup. Uh, now, there's always, British Prime Ministers always do this. They get a world leader. They always take them to the pub. And if there's an England game on, I would pay good money to see. <laughs> Donald Trump in a Yates's. <laughs> to an England but we had a great we had a traditional English experience we went to Yates as I had 13 pints of Stella Artois <laughs> so it was very tasty and we then we went out we trashed a kebab shop because we lost and that's what they do here it's a beautiful tradition there <laughs> we got to do more of that at home and we we had a one I then ended up in Oceania until 3am and find out what <laughs> Fingering is, I don't know if you do it over there. A lot of people do that in England. It was very traditional. We had a lovely time. <laughs> David Davis has had to apologise this week for making a surprise visit to the Irish border. Now, I'm not sure what sort of, how big a sort of, whether he, you know, emerged from a cake or what sort of effort he put into the surprise. But local MPs are livid, saying you're the Brexit secretary. You can't just turn up at the Irish border. I mean, particularly brave for a man who was in the SAS. In reflection, mad of him to do it in uniform. He's got a fucking death wish. But uh, uh, Boris Johnson, you may have seen, our foreign secretary, uh, has launched a £200 million international fund to help uh, girls get educated abroad, which is one of the least thinly veiled attempts to try and get laid in different countries. <laughs> no, 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 I've got an idea. No, I, I, give me a couple of hundred million quid and I'll show you what I can do with it. I'll, I'll get out there. I... Come on. <laughs> no, I've always been passionate about young girls. I mean, just fucking... There's no way he's going to... no way he's not going to be able to talk about that without a smile uh, person across his face. Uh, and Alex Salmond, my favourite story of the month, Alex Salmond's Russia Today programme, The Alex Salmond Show, is being investigated by Ofcom 
Because the tweets that he reads out on it are not actually met from members of the public. He's been reading out fake tweets sent in by people who work on the show, and they know this because they've been doing it from their actual Twitter account. So <laughs> their names have been coming up in the show, and then again when the credits have been rolling. Have been... A couple of dead giveaways as to how this could have happened, right? Two big clues. Firstly, all the tweets were positive. I mean, that should have alerted the authorities immediately. Uh, and secondly, who the fuck would tweet the Alex Salmon show? Like, no one's watching it. I got another tweet here from uh, Paula that says, Alex, love your show. Uh, you're the greatest thing on TV. That's from a Mr. Salmon. Got another one here from a guy calling himself Alec in Banff from Buchan saying, you should have been Prime Minister of the entire world. Uh, guy here is simply going by the initials AS. You are the greatest. I love your show. <laughs> right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break. And after the break, uh, we have a wonderful guest, someone I've wanted to interview uh, for many years. Uh, it's a real shame that that's become... Um, like, it genuinely... It's true of every guest. It's become a running joke that I say that every month, but it is true. Um, uh, so I'm very excited indeed. As always, uh, you are a phenomenal crowd. I'll be back in about 15, 20 minutes for now. I've been Matt Ford. See you in a bit. <laughs> Welcome back to the second half, ladies and gentlemen. We have a very special guest uh, in this second half. I always end up rearranging the... I know, I'm like... I feel like sort of Vince Cable. I feel like I've got to... Uh... <laughs> Just check the living room and then everything will be fine. Um, uh, we have a very special guest tonight, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I deliberately try and get a spread uh, across the political spectrum and of people at different points in their career. What's been remarkable, I think, about particularly the last three years in politics of how many of the 2015 intake across parties have become more prominent than some of their front bench colleagues or indeed adversaries. Um, so uh, it is with great... Um, uh, admiration uh, that I've invited tonight's guest, someone I have wanted to interview for many years. Uh, <laughs> she stood out immediately, and I think there's, there's something very special about tonight's guest in the sense that when people look at... A lot of the debate, I think, has been around the direction in which the Labour Party is going and where a split would be on the left. There are a lot of people in the Conservative Party that aren't necessarily happy with the direction that it's going in. There are even fewer of them prepared to stand up and do something about it and be so public about the heart and soul of British politics. Tonight's guest, you can be in no doubt, is a very passionate, open and compassionate person who has been at the forefront, really, of a new type of Tory party, which may well emerge sooner than we think. It may well take a long time, but she is an absolute star of this parliament. She has a massive future ahead. I'm delighted she's here tonight. Please give a huge welcome to Heidi Allen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, I wasn't sure whether to do that or not. Well, we're still in Europe. So we, we are still in Europe, Europe. yes, yeah, so it can be slightly continental. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to shake hands in a very formal manner. Um, do you, I mean, obviously you were, you were on the Remain side of the referendum. Um, is that, we're less than a year now from, from leaving the European Union. Is that something that you will find emotional in itself? Um, this is Chatham House, right? <laughs> oh, everything's off the record. <laughs> Nobody's recording anything. Um, I am, um, apart from the podcast. Yes, yeah, off the record yeah. podcast. Don't fucking get um, me in trouble, man. <laughs> <laughs> or me. Um, I think it's unlikely, but not impossible, that we might not leave yet. Oh, so we might not leave at all, or we might not leave on that date? Either. Very, uh, very unlikely, unlikely, but not impossible. So is, and where does, that, where does that sense come from? Is it that Parliament has a meaningful vote, obviously something that you, you, you voted for, um, or is it something else? Do you get a sense from 
parliamentary colleagues across parties that there might be more action on the way? I mean, I suppose, to be fair, I probably haven't honestly developed a nose for this because I've been doing this, you know, not even three years. So I don't have a lot to compare with. But it seems that this is kind of not normal. This is sort of not regular Parliament. Um, slightly unusual. And, you know, I talk about these tectonic plates. Brexit is shifting something um, in a way that we've never seen before. And I just think all rules are off. I just think all bets are off. I think anything's possible. Um, we have to see how the economy goes. We have to see where inflation goes. We have to see um, where the NHS goes in terms of our ability to staff it. And I just think the mood is perhaps starting to change. But, you know, I'm in that bubble in Westminster. My constituency, South Cambridge, who is another amazing tech, um, highly skilled, intelligent bubble. So I need to be careful not just to be listening to my own echo chamber. But I just, I just think every day, you know, it's nudging in a, a slightly different way. And that meaningful vote will be important. I haven't heard anyone actually on the Remain side talk as uh, optimistically as oh, you Alice know. Subi must have, surely. Oh, yeah, but that's a very different type of optimism, isn't it? That's a kind of... <laughs> that's a crazy optimism. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, it's a very... Char but Anna, Yeah, I mean, Anna Subi is very optimistic, but she... I, I, not in the same way as you are. I think Anna, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this, I think it's slightly... It's tempered by maybe a little more pessimism than yours is. Yeah, and pessimism, well, not even pessimism, just realism, I suppose. There's a big dose of that in there. Um, but I think politics is just very alive, isn't it? People get it. You know, in my constituency, I've got more, I'm pleased, young women standing to be local councillors, either district or county, than ever before. People are seeing, you know, social media has, without doubt, its downsides because it's unveiled and it's pretty nasty sometimes. But it does also open up the debate. And I think people are more rapidly connected to what's changing and, and can sense change, I think, more than they would have done 10 years ago. And I, I just think the mood is shifting and people are concerned about, oh, you know, crumbs, jobs, Land Rover, not so good. You know, things are um, shifting in the economy. I mean, this, this sort of... I haven't heard a politician talk just so upbeat, in an upbeat way about politics for ages. I, obviously... God, I've had a really bad fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, obviously the guests we get here are probably... You're probably one of the younger guests we've had. Thank you very much. But, but, in, a, but in a way... And you wanted to interview me for years. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's only, that could only have been true for three years, but it, it's, it has been true for three years. Um, yeah, it would have been weird if I wanted to interview before you were an MP. Uh, because of... Because of the, Phil, I think we need to go. Because of the, because of the RS paint business. Um, of course. Uh, would have been the main reason I would have interviewed you. Clearly. I was going to come on to this later, but... Th so this is your, <laughs> your family business. Yes. Don't is laugh. a motorbike laugh. paint business. Yes, it is. So is that, that you, is that an industrial thing, or is that when people come to you and say, I want my bike painted? Um, it's both. It is a very interesting topic. Far more interesting yeah. than Brexit, obviously. Yeah. Um, motorbikes um, don't have paint codes like cars do. Who knew? Um, so, um, <laughs> I mean, bike is in the room, but you know that, obviously. Um, so you can't buy paint for motorbikes. You can't go to Dealey, you can't go to Halfords, because the manufacturers want you to buy a new panel if you scratch your bike. So my clever mummy and daddy discovered this. Um, interesting your background from Nottingham. I grew up um, about five miles from Barnsley. Minor strike came along, decimated the business, which was just a traditional car motor factors. Dad was a biker in the 60s, had a good eye for colour. Could go, oh, I can match that. And started writing down formulations for bike colours. And now my wonderful husband, Phil, because I kind of did that, got a bit bored and decided to be an MP, um, and then handed the business to Phil. So how difficult is that for Phil, basically working for the in-laws? 
<laughs> That's tricky. I think it's fair to say the early years were, were difficult. <laughs> <laughs> what, was he not very good? Um, uh, he was excellent. Um, let's just say slight only child, older parent syndrome. Oh. No, so... no prince would be perfect enough, I think it's fair to say. But actually, it turns out he's quite good. So, <laughs> so being an only child, do you think that made you more likely to go into politics? Um, we're boarding on precocious now, aren't we? Um, I'm, no, I think, um, and I'll just say it now to get it out of the way so I don't get upset later. My mum died two and a half weeks ago. Um, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. So, but I'm laughing, so that's good. Yeah. Um, but now having a German mother who came over to the UK when she was 18 to escape the economy of Germany because there was no hope, who came here, couldn't speak English, got a job in a glue factory, and within, I don't know, 15 years was the financial director of Uniroyal. Wow. That makes you independent and determined to um, do better and to contribute and to know that you, you get there and do your own steam, um, but you bring people with you while you do it. It would be very easy, wouldn't it, to say, German mother, five miles down the road from Barnsley, you could have been Labour. Yeah. What was it that delivered you to the Tories? Well, th this is interesting, actually, because I was chatting... One of my um, good friends is Steve Reid, who's a Labour MP... Um, who randomly, his brother is my husband's best friend. So we got to know them before I, I decided to do this slightly crazy job. Um, and he grew up in the north as well, and his family were involved, I think, in the print, in, print industry. And they saw that industry collapse, and both the parents and the family, all the finances, um, they really struggled. And their response was, well, why didn't the government do something to save our industry? You know, damn it, that's wrong. I'm then he became Labour. I grew up with the miners' strike five miles away, all around us, in fact. Our village was very close to collieries, and that nearly killed my parents' business. But my parents' answer was to change, to um, somehow crawl and keep going and keep that business going and keep the staff on, and that made me a Tory. So, so close, actually, in our, sort of our experiences, and yet we went a different way. But then, to be fair, Steve's quite a right-wing Labour guy, and I'm a pretty left-wing Tory, so... <laughs> hey, there could be a beautiful new party there. Who knows? <laughs> Do you think there will be? I mean, we, we, we talk, I interviewed someone recently, Chris Coglin, who set up Renew, which is this new party. I mean, it, he is very realistic that, really, it, you can't have a new party unless it has a parliamentary presence, and that will involve MPs breaking away from the parties. Obviously, a lot of the focus has been on Labour. Do you get a sense, you know, within yourself, that actually, if things carry on the way they are, if, if Theresa May delivers a, a hard Brexit, or if Boris or Jacob Rees-Mogg get near the leadership, that you would leave? <laughs> Um, I would be in Italy drinking heavily, <laughs> if, um, <laughs> um, Tuscany specifically. Um, um, yeah, I'd, good, good I, Blairite horn, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah. It's got, it's, it really resonates. Um, I, um, I don't. I hope we don't need a new party. I'm hoping that um, people like you know Ken Clark and Anna Subri, Rebel Alliance, um, that we can um, we do actually call ourselves that. Dominic Grieve is Star Troop Commander, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is true. So yeah. Dominic Grieve, Ken Clark, Anna Subri, you. Who else is in? Um, well, it's basically the front page of the Telegraph. Okay, so, so the, the, the saboteurs. Um, yeah, the saboteurs. No, what are we? Malcontents. Malcontents. Or was that Daily Mail? I forget now. Oh, Daily Mail was crushed the saboteurs. The, oh, no, the Telegraph judges, was. It was all good, anyway. Yeah. Whatever they said. Um, mutineers. That was it. It was mutineers. Yeah. Um, I um, I hope that we can wrestle the debate and the country back to where we want to be, which is kind of 
um, normalness, whatever that means. Yeah. It's just got so... Um, you know, we're not the country where we don't want people to come here from other countries and feel welcome and contribute. You know, we're not a country where... Um, you know, we don't care. About, I call it the little man. I sometimes get said that's not a good phrase, the little man. I mean the small person versus the state. We, we're, the, we're the fair... Warren Davis. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, we're, the, we're the middle of the road, regular people. Um, and it's just, you know, in the same way as Labour has gone to this crazy left position, and the Labour Party, the majority, was just in as much um, kind of worry, worried state as we are. Um, you know, I'm new to the Tory party. I was saying to you, um, you know, ladies, forgive me, but I didn't even used to vote. I was so apolitical sometimes, you know, prior to getting involved in this. But I, instinctively, I was a Tory. But I tell you what, I didn't think it'd be like this. Well, what didn't, in what way? Well, th um, th this obsession with... Um, we're just... We're, we're two parties. Well, no, we're probably three parties in one, actually. The hardcore right that everybody sort of talks about, that we feel we have absolutely nothing in common with at all. I know they said the Tory party is a broad church, but just way over there. Um, those that actually just will say whatever because they want to get promoted. And I think there's an, an element of that in every party. Um, and the rest of us, are, and some of us are a bit braver to say something, and some of us just um, wait for the, I guess, the weather to change, and then they'll pop up and surface again. And that there were too many of those, unfortunately. not enough brave people that will step up and say things need to change. So if... If the Tory party does stay on the track that it's on at the moment, how long would you stay in it? It depends, again, whether you're half-glass full or half-glass empty optimist. Um, no. I... You know, so the whole Brexit thing, which is dominating everything, and I don't know how people in the room feel about this, but, um, you know, economically, our business, you know, we'd be lost without European markets. I mean, we trade easily with France and Germany, and that would be a big problem. So I'm hoping, I don't care what we call it, partnership, relationship, union, whatever it might be, but that customs union, that free movement of people and skills will prevail. And we'll call it something different so everybody feels like they've won. Um, but it was. <laughs> politics, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've learned that already. <laughs> I wrote it down. Um, but I, um, I hope if we... I think the Prime Minister is nudging that way because economically, it makes sense. And whatever you think about Theresa May, whatever your views might be, she is the closest thing to a civil servant that you ever meet. She has got a job to do, and the right job. And protecting the economy and protecting the country. Um, you might feel that she's being you know, battered around by the stronger voices of Boris and David Davis, but I tell you what, when it comes to it, I do genuinely have confidence in her that even if it means sacrificing herself, she will put the country and the economy first. And that means, to me, a softer Brexit, and maybe we'll come through it. If we don't, then I will be in Italy. <laughs> How much access do you have as a, as a backbencher to the Prime Minister, and what's your personal relationship with the like? And do you tell us stuff like this about the state of the Tory party and the direction of the country? Um, well, all the senior cabinet ministers, you don't really see them very much, because typically they'll just, you'll see them in the voting lobby, but they're, not, they're all in their departments during the day. They're not kind of hanging around Westminster. Yeah. Um, but when I... Um, she came to visit my hospital, Adambrooks, um, a couple of weeks ago. And you do kind of get quiet moments in corridors. And I've had it with her before when she came up to visit another organisation the previous year. And um, you can just be very one-to-one. -one. Um, I found the best way to um, get a meeting is to stand up in PMQs, um, sort of give Burko a bit of a wink, I think he likes me, um, and say, can I have a meeting with you about this? And I've done quite well with that, about modern slavery and child benefits and disability and stuff. So just, just, what do you do? You talk to the organ grinder, don't you? 
if you want to change something. So just ask to have a meeting. And is she receptive, do you think, to your type of conservatism? Um, well, I think we... Well, it's, it's her type of conservatism. We heard it when she was first elected, that magnificent speech, which, um, if you know even a tiny bit about me, you'll know that I cry quite a lot. Um, so <laughs> I, I did cry. I, I, was, I had tears in my eyes when I heard that first speech because it was like, thank God, this is it. Somebody who cares about the little man, somebody who actually gets the fact that people struggle to make ends meet. And it's just a shame that that's kind of lost its way a little bit. But it must still be there. I don't believe it's gone. It, it's a, this politics is a hard job. It's like a roller coaster. You can be really on it. That's the thing I'm going to do this week. And then waves of, of media and something else will batter you and you, you kind of lose your direction. And suddenly you pop up again three months later. And, God, I didn't do anything about that. <laughs> so if that happens to me, to the Prime Minister, I mean, like, times ten. But it must still be in her. I believe it's still in her. But she, what she does need is some form of... She's basically there to manage Brexit and whatever that eventually entails. She does need to have a broader policy offer, doesn't she? As Prime Minister, she looks back on her time, she needs to be able to say whatever it was. You know, like Prime Ministers can say a minimum wage or a privatised the energy industry, whatever it is. What tangible things, apart from Brexit, will May leave behind? Well, I think we're starting to see some of that. I mean, nobody would um, disagree that it hasn't been the biggest kind of game in town. But... Um, OK, so we trialled a few things in the manifesto. Um, fox hunting. Um, was a particular favourite of mine. Um, always been big on fox hunting. Um, Especially when it's Liam Fox. <laughs> yeah, now that, that I would put, like, a whole red jacket on for. Oh, him. absolutely. <laughs> no glass of sherry. <laughs> oh, no, we're not recording this, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, so the manifesto clearly trialled some ideas that weren't terribly well communicated. But, you know, we've kind of picked ourselves up again. And finally, we are coming back. Social care and NHS, long-term funding, yes. Lost count number of letters that Sarah Wollaston and me and colleagues have written to her going, come on, we need to do something different with the NHS. So finally, we're starting to come through that. But it's like anything, isn't it? You know, I suppose the difference in business, um, as, as a manager, you can pick your team, can't you? And if you don't have the right team, well, you'll recruit and bring some other people in. In politics, it's this really small bubble so the quality of her ability to deliver mm. is, is what's around her, isn't it? Is the ministers that she has. And um, some are better than others. So let's, let's, let's expand the, um, the analogy. <laughs> who would you... Let's take part as a whole. Who would you recruit from the Labour Party? Let's say you had to form a national government. But I'd do that anyway. My whole um, Prime Minister dinner party conversation, who would you invite? I would have a cross-party cabinet anyway, regardless of national government. So if you... Do you have ambitions to be leader of the Tories? No. Oh, come on, just a little no. bit. I think I'm the only Tory MP that doesn't <laughs> secretly think they're going to be Prime Minister one day. And they go, no, really, no. Really, no. no but, you know, no. If, if fate delivered you there, if things changed in five, ten years' time? Um, I, I genuinely, A, don't think it would ever happen, because the rate at which I'm getting promoted, I think I'm the only person now from 2015 that isn't a, vi a vice chairman, CCHQ, deputy, PPS, whip, thing, <laughs> milk monitor yeah, person. I am literally the only... It's only me and Anna Subri, I think, now. Um, so, practically, it's never going to happen. Um, I'm, kind of, I'm, too, I'm too emotional. I wouldn't be good in that kind yeah, of role. You know what? I think that's good. I think people want a bit of that. Yeah, I'd probably slap Trump. I mean, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Imagine. Mm, not sure. <laughs> but I think, a bit of, I think that is what is lacking at the moment, particularly in the leadership of the parties. Maybe Corbyn, to be fair to him, does show a bit of emotion sometimes. But uh, just a bit of empathy, just a bit of humanity is what really has done it for that post-New Labour managerial class. 
and for some of the Tories as well. Yeah, no, agreed. And I think um, definitely people want to see a person, don't they? They don't want to see this kind of line-wielding robot. Um, but I think I'm too emotional. Really, I mean, I can cry yeah, at EastEnders if it's, you know, a difficult storyline. It's bad. I've, you know. I've cried a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, it, but I actually, you know, I've always thought, you know, a Prime Minister should occasionally cry. I think she probably does, just, you know. But publicly. Not in the chamber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, OK, fair enough. Maybe not, not just before the head hits the pillow at night, but, like, <laughs> first thing in the morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but... Another day. You know what, if I was... If, if, when I have, like, really Machiavellian thoughts, I sort of think... If, if I was Prime Minister, I would just, like, occasionally deliberately cry. Deliberately like, cry? Well, not, oh, not just go, like, wow. oh, God, no, we'll just, like, break down in the middle of nothing, like... But you think it would be, you know, if I was advising the Prime Minister to say that you haven't cried for a couple of years, just, you know, wait till England get knocked out or something like that, or, you know, something less important. And um, <laughs> I just think, I think people would really like it. But it's interesting, because she does have much more emotion, I think, than she shows on a regular basis. I remember her delivering a speech um, about the Hillsborough um, inquiry. It's probably a year ago, 18 months ago now. Yeah. And it was borderline. And I tell you, it was amazing, though. Because that was her, that as Home Secretary, that was her world. That's what she'd done, and and this is going back to her, you know, caring about the little man. She does, and you can tell, genuinely deeply care about the person who's been stepped on, the person that's been done wrong to, um, whether you know, in a Home Office capacity. As Prime Minister, she has the ultimate opportunity to kind of help those people. So I think she does have the emotion. But no, I think I think people do respond to that. That's why Corbyn's done so well. Um, so who would, you, who would you have? So in the national government, the dinner party okay. question, right. of, and let's just take current, okay. not historical, who would you bring over from, from the Labour side? Um, well, I'd probably have um, Frank Field. I like Just, Frank. Yeah. Um, probably do WP, because that's kind of his thing. Yeah. Um, I might have Steve Reid, this chap I mentioned earlier, DCLG, because he ran, I always forget, was it Lambeth? Or it was so Lambeth. Was yeah. it Lambeth? Yeah. Oh, Pub quiz, boy. Well, they did, the, they did the big freeze on council tax, didn't they? Mm. Was the big... Everyone remembers that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing Lambeth Council 2010. Uh, oh, <laughs> you need to write this stuff down for me, because I don't know any of this stuff <laughs> at all. I am uh, kind of blagging it as I go along. So, Fields um, in there, reason. Yeah, I'd probably get Norman Lamb from the Dems for some kind of healthy, mental healthy type thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, Jacob Rees-Mogg would be in there, you know. What? what, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, if you had to give Reese Mogg a role, what would it be? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that. Well, they, that was always the thing, wasn't it? Reckon with Boris that the Prime Minister wrote FO, and he got fired. <laughs> <laughs> And so the joke went. Oh, I, I have that's no true. idea. Um, it's like that, um, <laughs> the J. Edgar Hoover story. Have you heard that about when he wrote on a piece of paper, watch the borders, and his staff at the FBI thought there was going to be an attack, so started sending stuff to the borders, and he just meant that the guy had written the note too close to the border. <laughs> <laughs> really? I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it's a good story, isn't it? I think you should never be Defence Secretary. <laughs> no, I think so, that could be. So B Boris would be out, I'm guessing. Uh, well, maybe back as mayor, because he was really good at that. If you fancy doing that again, maybe. Which is out of the cabinet. Oh, no, clearly not. Oh, right, OK, no, forget okay, that. Right, right. Okay. We've got a focus group here. This is great. Um, <laughs> so, fielding, uh, reading, 
lambing. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, Rachel Reeves is pretty hot. Yes. Um, I've done some joint, because I sit on the Work and Pension Select Committee, I've done some joint stuff um, with Carillion, actually. Um, that was fun. Um, with her from Bees. Um, and she is like a dog after a bone. I tell you what, she takes no, um, nothing for an answer. So she, perhaps in Bees, something like that. Mandy Gregoire's quite good. Um, I... Not good enough. He's out. Who else? <laughs> well, I'm thinking we've got to bring in somebody from the DUP, haven't we? Have you? Well, you don't like the DUP, though. Um, I, I just don't think we needed to pay a billion pounds that we didn't have for political control. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, do you ever talk Not to... Not the DUP. No, really? do you? Uh, but they don't like to agree with many things, do they? Um, do, you, do you ever talk to your DUP? Are they colleagues? Do they count as colleagues now? Yeah, they're occasionally in the same lobby. And what sort of stuff will you talk to them about? Um, well, clearly not the billion quid, because that would be awkward. Yeah. Um, well, I tried to get them on board with some... Um, when I was trying to get more children refugees in from, uh, from Europe, and I thought they were on side, and then at the last minute they didn't. So that was a bit disappointing. And w would, they, would, they say, would, they, would they get close? Would they say, look, we're going to support you, and then Arlene had decided otherwise? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, just to be fair, I'm not that close. So I don't even know if it's Arlene. But, you know, at the end of the day, they are they're sticking up for what they believe is right in Northern Ireland. And I, at the time when I had a... I was, it was a quite a difficult moment for me, actually. I was that close to voting against the Queen's speech. Wow. Which apparently you're not supposed to do. That's like a big, <laughs> no, no. It's a big no, thing no, you don't no, no. do. Not if you're in the party yeah. government. No, no. Um, I'll tell you who I'd bring back. David Burroughs, he was brilliant. He was Enfield Southgate, and he lost his seat um, just in this election just gone. Um, and he was such, is such a good friend and mentor to me. And um, he'd occasionally text me and go, Heidi... Okay, yeah, I'm thinking of voting against the Queen's speech. <laughs> like, no, hiding things you just don't do. That's like no confidence in the government. Oh, is it? Perhaps not. Surely the whips are telling you this stuff, are they? Um, yeah, but I think, um, to be fair, after my maiden speech, um, they don't call so much now. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, no, no Christmas cards. Your maiden speech so. was phenomenal, and it was, you know, there have been so many maiden speeches, people think of Mari Black, in the last two or three years that have caught the attention, and yours and hers really were the two, if you think of the last, maybe even five or ten years of maiden speeches mm -hmm. in Parliament, and it was emotion, it was passionate, and it was against government policy. <coughs> that must have been quite difficult. Um, well, I, and again this shows my naivety, I suppose, with politics and how the whole thing has worked. I was... Um, I was really disappointed when I finally arrived in Parliament, um, and... In what, what, how do you mean? Because everybody was just saying what they were told to say. And on all sides, they do this. Helpful interventions, here's a speech you could make. Could you possibly ask this minister this question? Yeah. And I thought, God, you're all bright people who've come from whatever background you've come from. You get in there, you have a lobotomy, and you start, you know, doing what you're told. And I was so frustrated. This chamber where you're supposed to be like Churchill and make these great speeches, and actually you're having a piece of paper shoved in direction, you're reading it. And I found that really depressing, and I thought, God, I've made a massive mistake. So I didn't... So the, obviously the election was in the May. I didn't make... Um, I intervened and asked questions and things, but I didn't make a formal speech. This was till the October. So it was quite a long time yeah. um, till I did it. And um, I w it was about tax credits. I was just... It was like a moment of clarity. This is wrong. This is really, really wrong. I'm going to have to say something. And Phil, my husband, will remember, I wrote it on the tube going home. Um, got home and um, Phil punctuated it for me and said, really? Are you sure? OK. Um, but genuinely, honestly and truthfully, I had no idea it would have the effect that it did. Genuinely. But... What, because you didn't think it, 
people would be watching, that there would yeah, be the attention? there's never anybody in the chamber, is there? Obviously, there's, like, cameras. <laughs> I realise now. Yeah. And people do tune in. <laughs> like, ten people in there or something. But because I'd seen such robotic repetition of people saying the same thing again and again and again, it's like, who is tuning into this? And it was only when Phil picked me up from the station that night. He's like, Heidi, have you seen the news? No, which? Six or ten? Mm, both. Right. No, why? And I had genuinely no idea. But you know what? If you're going to... The whole point, surely, you get elected, you have this incredible privilege. 85,000 people have had an election and however many thousand have <coughs> voted for you. You have got a special responsibility not to waste your time to get in there and say something that needs saying that presumably nobody else is saying. Um, and it worked. So what was the government's reaction to that? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think, actually... Um, nothing happened for about two days at all. I never, got, I never got bollocked. I never got that heavy knock on the door from the whips, nothing. Um, a few people were being a bit kind of uh, averting their gaze when I walked past in the corridor. I so mean, who's real. doing that? <laughs> not, not like important people. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you know, God, that's so demeaning, isn't it? Um, I just mean, you know, not like ministers or anything. Yeah. But just like new bikini 15 intakers with me are like, oh, not in your gang now. Um, so it was all a bit childish. That's strange. Oh, I know. Pathetic, isn't it? And because Anna Subri said before that uh, there were Tory MPs around her that would sit near her because she's a Remainer in the run up to between 2015 before the 2017 election got called and would basically say, We're going to deselect you next. We're coming for you. Mm. Did you ever have any of that? Um, no, not over that. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so many other things. Um, no, to be fair, I'm... Um, I mean, in, on the Brexit thing, I represent a Remain constituency. You know, it's um, on the edge of Cambridge, so it's going to be. Um, but no, there was no heavy knock at the door. Um, a little surprise. Um, clearly no promotion since. Um, but I think there is um, a rough kind of... Um, set of rules or expectations of behaviour, I think. If you're going to be a snivelling brown noser, that's OK, everybody knows that because you want to be promoted. But if you're going to be independently minded, set your stall out and say, I don't want to be promoted, this is me, then there's kind of a little bit of... I don't know if respect's the right word, but there, there's an acceptance that, yes. that you're that kind of person. Um, and but, it's fine. So you're basically the sort of Tory Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> in a sort of odd the lights are quite strong aren't they but in, the, yeah. but, but in the new context and obviously you're on a different wing of the party to, and all that but in a way you are the re you're the rebel and you've chosen that as a kind of brand but isn't it crazy rebel this word rebel so yeah. how many votes have we had in not the two and a half years that I've been there I don't know hundreds I've rebelled like nine times I mean this is not you know big league stuff is it compared to I always makes me smile I should do the sums on this um, to get the stats at my fingertips. But people like David Davis have rebelled over their careers literally hundreds of times. So I'm junior rebel, really. But it becomes this big thing, it's, I think, when it's a, a tight majority government. Um, but guess what? Your person with a brain who's got a view on things, that's done their research. You know, most of the things I've rebelled on have been uh, benefits-related because I know my shit. Because <laughs> I've got on the Work and Pension Select Committee and I've done my research and I've learned about it. I didn't know about it before I became an MP, but I do now. And Frank Field is the best mentor to me and he's taught me an awful lot. So if I think something's bang out of order, I'm going to say it's bang out of order. So why, why would that not be helpful to the government? If they're making a mistake, point it out. I completely agree, but, but this is not the and way... And make that... it better. I'm not interested in things that are great and are working well. I'm interested in things that need improving. But politics often doesn't or certainly Parliament, and the way that the political parties work, doesn't always see that as a helpful intervention. They would say, well, look, raise it privately, we'll deal with it there, 
Don't go making a song and dance about it in your maiden speech. But maybe you've tried all those avenues as well, and you know all your colleagues have tried those avenues mm. as well, and still nothing's happening. But so I, think, I think we're in a different parliament now. That was very much with Osborne. I mean, he was like this god, and you didn't <coughs> dare step out of line. Everybody, you always knew if you got a job, a junior job via Osborne, you're on your way. And he was like this godlike creature. Um, and there was like fear, you don't step out of line. I think it's, well, the, 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 um, the numbers now, the, the number of seats we have that make it, it has to be more open. Um, and I, I do see the Prime Minister is listening more and more now. You know, this long-term um, funding promise for the NHS. We didn't have that six months ago. So it's not necessarily that you are, you've set yourself up and you're, you're trying to stay loyal to, you know, the brand of Heidi Allen, whatever that would be, for want of a better phrase. If Theresa May offered you a role and said, you can still be outspoken, but I'd like you to be a minister now, would you accept it? Um, I think that would, well, this whole outspoken thing, that would never happen. Um, but, but yes, if I was allowed to be still uh, say when I think something's wrong and have my own opinions, then yes, I would. Do you think that would be... Because I've always thought, actually, I think Farage was the first warning flashlight on the dashboard for those of us that are kind of around the centre, was that actually it wasn't necessarily, that, it wasn't necessarily what he was saying. It was the way he was saying it. There was a style mm. issue that actually did feel a bit more loose. And whenever you set your stall out early like he did, like Boris did, and in a, in a very different way, but like you have... You're already saying, well, I will occasionally speak my mind and you take me or you leave me on that. It is when people have been one thing the whole time and then they're trying to be different. Mm. Gordon Brown, when he tried to sort of smile, smile. and all that sort of thing. That doesn't suit you, mate. Stop doing that. It was just weird. But if, do you not think that the parliamentary reaction to this for, for Labour and the Tories actually has to be that you have to allow ministers still to be professional... But just to sort of let a bit of that colour in, a bit of that personality. Totally. I mean, because like, how, how well does it work for Ruth Davidson? Yes. I mean, she's just brilliant, isn't she? Absolutely brilliant. And she swears a bit and she says what she thinks. She mostly, you know, she's very professional the entire time, but she will give of herself. Um, but we, um, and we that, that has to be the answer. Um, but I fear as a party we will lose before we're brave enough to, to kind of take that chance and do something differently. Because the establishment is so heavy. You can, I always think you can smell a culture in an organisation and it, it suppresses you. It's very, very heavy, the culture at Westminster. So when you say the establishment, do you mean the political establishment that is cross-party, the, the parliamentary authorities or whatever that might be, the state, or do you mean the Tory party? All of it. Just the way that parliament works, that it's all, it's all very process and... Um, the way things are debated and, and you know, how long things take and motion. You know, no, it's, not, it's a suppressed environment. Everything's very controlled by protocol. And then you pile on top of that um, pressure and paranoia and fear of promising things that then the world changes and you can't and the media are going to remind you of it. It just creates this very tense environment where people are scared. Um, but scared is boring and scared doesn't create... Um, demonstrable change and improvement in our country, it suppresses innovation. And at this moment, we need our country to be firing on all cylinders more than ever before. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you say people are scared, do you mean the ambitious think, right, well, I'll keep my head down, I'll keep my nose clean, I'll, I'll read out the questions, and maybe I'll get a job for myself. And there's that personal ambition. Maybe some of them might still think, well, then I can change the world for the positive, so there's still a broader set of values there. Do you think Theresa May is scared? Um... I th- no, I don't think she's scared. I think she's just exceptionally controlled. She's, she's not... Um, she's, or scared, maybe, of getting it wrong, scared of letting the country down. So, therefore, is very controlled and um, not flamboyant or um, flippant in any of your actions, which actually is exactly what you would want in a prime minister. I think the difference is these days people want a human being. Um, you know, people and politics can be a lot closer because of, um, of social media and the internet, etc. And we want something different now. It's why Farage, why Trump, you know, why people are, um, and Corbyn are kind of hanging on to that, because it's different. So you think Corbyn is, is probably going to be Prime Minister? No. <laughs> but you think Labour will win? Um, I, th- I think, well, again, it's these tectonic plates. I think it um, really depends on what deal we get, and how Theresa manages to sell it to both wings of my party. So how do you feel? Because obviously all sorts of different things caught up in Brexit, immigration, the economy, identity. The the sort of sillier, more eccentric parts of it that then end up actually affecting policy, like blue passports. (laughs) I know. Do you you have members of your local party who are delighted that there are blue passports? Do you get letters from people saying, what a bloody good idea, I'm delighted we get these... (laughs) Blue passports, or is it? Is this just such a small amount of people it never crosses your desk, or um, you know, is on your radar at all? I'm I'm very lucky, and it's part of the reason why I picked the constituency that I did. I have incredibly liberal, bright, um, communicative people in South Cairns. You know, it's scientists, it's academics, it's people um, who think before they speak. I suppose, um, and um, it's amazing. I love it. I absolutely love my constituency. Um, the passport thing. I had a few emails, but literally about five or six. Not many at all. But saying this is good? Um, no, no, saying it's um, outrageous that it should be a British... No, well, the blue passport, sorry, I was thinking the of that the, it the issue. Blue. Yeah, but no, the fact that it wasn't going to be made in Britain, yeah. they didn't like that. 
but like five emails, not a massive amount. And then with, with the Tory, the Tory MPs, because where you sit in the house, you're around some of the, you know, naughtier ones sometimes. Um, oh, 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 you know, that, that old stereotype of the sort of male old Tory MP, the sort of rotter. Is that, is that, is that still, oh no, is that still, are those characters still present? Are they real? Yeah, there are some, but it is changing. You know, the 15 intake with me, we've got um, a guy who's a postman, we've got a chap who is a store manager for Lidl, we've got a couple of nurses, an offset inspector, teacher, um, Joe, she worked for, um, ran a scaffolding business, so that it is changing. But like all these things, you know, we're the junior ones coming off the block, so we're not the big beasts, we're not the names that people necessarily talk about yet. Um, and the 17 intake, particularly the new Scots Tories that came in, they are brilliant, they are on fire, those guys, and they're very young and dynamic. Um, and that is, it is slowly starting to change. So just one small example today, we had a very exciting vacancy on the Transport Select Committee. Um, <laughs> I am excited yeah, by that. Two names, one space. Um, and Jet Brereton got it, who is about 12 years old. And um, he, um, he is a new lad that came in at 17, and he got it. And who would have thought that versus an older guy who'd been there forever? So it is changing. It's good that it's changing, mm. for, just for the good of politics, I think, that there's some of the old cliches are going. Paul Masterton, who you mentioned, is, is very funny. Oh, we did a thing with him for a TV show, and we asked MPs what was the worst thing a constituent had ever said to them. <laughs> and everyone else was saying, oh, bugger off, you know, go away, I'm in the bath. And he just went, uh, the worst thing a constituent ever said to me was... Um, Fuck off back to England, you Tory cunt. <laughs> we still really narrow it down. There's probably about 30,000 people that could have potentially said that. But, uh, what I a legend. Love I've Paul loved him ever cool. since. Paul is cool. Yeah, he's, he's a but he, but he's the new breed. Dynamo, if it's rubbish, say it's rubbish. Have some personality, have some charisma, have some energy, and just don't waste your time playing at it. Um, so he's the future people like him. But you have to, you, there are always sort of informal coalitions in parties, aren't there? People that you just like and get on with mm. and you sort of naturally gravitate to people that you have similar values to. There are then ways of organising, aren't there? We always hear about these WhatsApp groups in the Labour Party and Boris tweet, you know, not tweeting, WhatsApp in the WhatsApp group, um, that then get tweeted. But are there WhatsApp groups on the Tory benches? Do you have, like, little groups that are...? There are a few, yes. And what, do you know what they're called? Well, I'm probably not in many, to be <laughs> But the ones I know about, I'm in that one. Um, so there's one with all the Tory MPs, there's one with the ladies, um, all the ladies Tory MPs. Obviously the Rebel Alliance, we have a small WhatsApp yeah. group. Um, a few breakaway groups, if we're going to rebel on something else, we might create our own little group and then it'll disappear afterwards. So, a few. so on, on the ladies one, obviously Theresa's part of that. Will she ever no, sort of chip in? oddly enough, she's not. Do you know because something it, we don't? Well, <laughs> <laughs> what an exclusive. <laughs> no, but I tell you what, and it probably would be... Um, Unusual for the Prime Minister to be on a WhatsApp group. Like, we're just, like, being weird. I mean, I think I'm in a parallel universe the whole time, are we? Like, I'm on the stage now, we're doing this very odd. I used to sell pint, paint for bikes, as you know. Um, but I think it will be an extra parallel universe of the Prime Minister we're in a WhatsApp group with us. But Amber Rudd's on there, everybody else's. And who are the sort of big characters on there? Who sort of leads the banter on there? Who's like... Um, well, it depends on the topic, I suppose. Um, I, I probably should... I, I probably need to zip it a little bit, otherwise I'm in danger of saying <laughs> what I really think. Um, some people who you would expect to be on there being quite opinionated are. So Anna Subri, would that be... No, actually, she doesn't contribute that much on there. OK. Because she gets... There's a lot of talk of courgettes and jam. It's all a bit WI, to be honest. Um, and, and Anna finds that quite tedious, so she doesn't really join up. In the summer, people like 
they show their biggest courgette and things. And, <laughs> oh, I mean, all... and I don't have one, so I don't, you know, participate. Well, you don't have a courgette. That's why no. you're in the women's WhatsApp group. Um, I, <laughs> I kind of courgette, yeah. Well, the, well, the last thing I was going to say is, I wonder if you're mistaken, because the emoji for a courgette is often the closest thing to something else, and it's used as a joke to mean... Is it? No, these are definitely yeah. real. Yeah, that's these, right. These... Isn't that right? The courgette's used as, like, a kind of... Oh, fuck. It's aubergine. <laughs> Which one's bigger? <laughs> oh, shit! Yeah, you know, the edamame beans they always use for willies, right? Do they? Um, oh, fuck. I was glad, but a couple of people did know, so I'm not the only... Oh, I see. I'm so... sure I know the difference, and I think these were definitely courgettes. <laughs> definitely courgettes. I'm pretty certain. <laughs> oh, dear me. Um, uh, yeah, okay. So it's kind of a chatty WhatsApp group, I suppose. Okay, and then so, but Amber Rudd is she? Uh, is she sort of light-hearted on there? Yeah, very. She likes cats. She sends gifts of cats a lot. <laughs> what of her own cats or just like the funny cats? Just funny cats. The, that DJing cat that goes around. <laughs> no, I haven't. I couldn't list them for you, but they have been cat gifts. <laughs> so. Because Amber Rudd. Which is funny, but she's you know it's much more relaxed. These are normal people. They really are. But the, the problem is you don't get to see a lot of that, yeah. but they really are. She, I mean, Amber Rudd, during the EU referendum, was phenomenal. That's mm. really where she made her name. That debate against Boris where it was... Um, I think it was Amber Rudd, Nicola Sturgeon. It might have been Ruth Davidson against Boris and a couple of others. And she said, um, Boris may well be the life and soul of the party, but he's oh, not the person it. you want driving you home yeah. at the end of the night. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I thought, this is phenomenal. So, like, she, she has oh, shown she's that side. Yeah, yeah, she's sharp. But part of the problem Amber Rudd has is her majority is like, like wafer thin yeah, now. Yeah, about 300. Do you think that is a, a sort of, is that, a, is that a yank on her ambition for the time being? Um, I don't think so because she is um, phenomenally professional. Absolutely. You know, I'll send her a text message about something, she will reply within half an hour. With I a mean, cat gif? <laughs> with a cat gif. <laughs> and if I send her a dog gif first, obviously. Um, she's amazing. Um, so on it. Um, that I think she... Like a lot of politicians, probably pinch themselves a little bit that they're there and think, you know what, I'm just going to do the best job I can while I'm here. Um, but works very hard at campaigning um, at weekends when she goes back home again. I'd certainly go and campaign for her to keep her in. She's massively impressive. I just, I just since uh, Stoll sort of on the rise, and obviously as Home Secretary she's got a very big role, but it's a role that does demand a serious mm. um, persona perhaps, so that, that might be a slight check on her personality. But I just thought, you know, if she had a bigger majority, she might be manoeuvring in a way... To replace Theresa May. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how... Um, I mean, I joke that I'm probably the only Tory MP that doesn't want to be Prime Minister and everybody else does. But I don't know how seriously people... For some people, it's all about that, climbing that greasy pole and getting there. But I think yeah. Amber, um, like Theresa May, are just exceptionally professional. And I have got a job to do, and she's got a massive job to do. I mean, this Windrush thing has just been... Hell. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think she's got time to think about anything else, to be honest. It's a big job. The problem is, is that obviously events, dear boy, events and the, and the lessons that that teaches us. But when you get an event, in a way, different to Grenfell, but a similar sort of problem where out of nowhere this problem occurs that seems to chime with, a, a, it chimes an emotional call about people, how people feel about the individuals that govern them. And for the Tories to have this Windrush problem, it's just a reminder for a lot of people that actually the Tory party don't care. Not only about the public in general, but they really don't care about immigrants. And they've never fully had that heart and soul connection to people who've come here from abroad. Is that fair? 
Do you still encounter those sort of things in the Tory party? Um, honestly, no. Honestly. Um, I think the... And it's a difficulty, and rightly so, with, um, with things like the Windrush um, problem, is that they, they start out of administrative mess-ups. I mean, that's the bottom line, isn't it? Somebody somewhere decided that in the days when you didn't have IT and you couldn't scan documents, the people's landing cards were just going to throw them away, and hey, who cares? And that, that's the heart of the problem, yeah. that people's paperwork back in, was it 2009, 2010, decided that we didn't need to keep the stuff anymore. But the, the problem is it then get, it's how we respond to it when it then reaches the light of day and, and whether that administrative problem has been compounded by the environment that we have created since then that's made us less tolerant and less forgiving of people who didn't have paperwork and you know, the immediate response being, no, sorry, I haven't got it, not welcome, versus, oh, really, you've not got your paperwork? Well, why haven't you got your paperwork? Let's talk about it. I mean, certainly since I've been doing this job, and I don't have a lot of visa issues in my constituency. Um, but the Home Office is a little bit like computer says no. It's really, really difficult um, to, you know, if somebody has got the paperwork, it's just like this machine, partly because it's probably understaffed. Um, but I think, and I don't think it's a hostile environment at all. I don't like where that phrase has come from. It's, it has been um, a team that was led under Theresa May at the time where it was all about getting the immigration numbers down. And you combine that with a poor decision way back when about people not keeping the paperwork, and it's just become this horrid, horrid opposite of a perfect storm. And it, it goes to something far deeper than just dealing with new immigrants. These people have been here so long that came here, who were invited here know, to, to build the country it's that are as British it? as you get, and are now being put through this incredible trauma. And the warning, you know, people like David Lammy have been warning for a long time about stuff like this. Isn't it, there's a wider issue as well, isn't there, about what voices and who we listen to. And had this been a group of white middle-class immigrants from a European country, would they have been treated differently, do you think? Um, honestly, no. As I say, my, my limited experience with the visa cases that I've taken up for constituents who will have been super brainy, um, sciencey people from America, whoever wanted to come and have a, a role in one of my scientific organisations, they've had the same computer says no from the Home mm. Office. So I genuinely don't think that's at it. Um, at the heart of it. Um, but I understand why people would draw that conclusion. It's desperate. Um, in fairness to Amber, I don't know if any of you listened to any of the speeches she made in the House of Commons, because obviously she's been grilled quite heavily um, on more than one day on this. It's absolutely genuine, her remorse, her apologies. And this is where her professional self comes out. Right, we're going to get the paperwork, no charge. We're going to get a crack team on it. People have the paperwork in place, no fee, compensation, absolutely. She's determined, as best as she can, to set the record straight. Attenborough is very, very pro-immigration. I suspect that's where some of the tension comes in the Cabinet. I mean, I've been working with her trying to get... We have an issue with Tier 2 visas, trying to get doctors in, where we've exhausted the number of places we have. And she is very, very um, passionate about fixing that. So she, she has landed at, in a desperate situation, and she is doing her absolute professional best to get people out of that as fast as they can. How much is it... I mean, this is on top of Brexit, when you think, Christ, you know, you, you've joined the Tory MP, and as you say, regretted it on probably day one and day two, when you saw what the job entailed and the environment you were working with and, and some of the people you're working around. But you think the party that you really identified with is delivering Brexit, is needlessly putting these poor people who are British people through hell. Grenfell wasn't handled well. I mean, do, is it shaking your faith in the party itself? No, because I, 
also see, um, and none of it's perfect, absolutely none of it's perfect. And as I said, it's the things that are broken that I'm interested in fixing, not the great stuff. But we have stabilised the economy. Not all jobs are brilliant, but we have created more jobs than ever before. We are pumping more money into the NHS than ever before. The problem is we're just ailing, um, ageing and getting older and having more um, com complex health conditions. The faster we pump the money in, the more it just disappears down the black hole. So we are doing some good stuff, but the day-to-day -day stuff doesn't get the airtime. Mm. And we're, not, we're, not, we're rubbish at communicating. We're rubbish at telling the good stories. Um, I haven't been the biggest fan of Michael Gove because I thought how he and Who Boris... Who has? Well, <laughs> Michael, Michael Gove. Gove. <laughs> 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 Should do this again. Um, um, the way he handled... I had no opinion particularly before, but the way he handled the whole leadership thing with him and Boris, I thought, oh, God, that was just too Brutus, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but I tell you what, since he's got this job in DEFRA, my God, he's on it. All the softer stuff, pollution, plastics, animals... Um, live animals in transit. He's, there's more policy change that's come out of his department than I think the rest you could put together. Um, so we are starting to deliver some of this stuff, but we have just been rubbish at communicating. And it's the bad stuff, like the fox hunting, that grabs the headlines. Yeah, well, which I mean, is unfortunate. Put in a manifesto, it will, it will get coverage. Nasty habit of getting there. It was really small, though. <laughs> yeah, but it was symbolic, wasn't it? And it was, you know. I mean, it's, it's it just car crash. I'm, this car, this thing in politics. You see the car crashing there, and you know it's going to take two months to get to you, but you see it coming, and no one else seems to. And it's just like, God, why are we doing this? But your sort of car, well, you're on a motorbike, so you could avoid it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was. It, it, so you, but you did get re-elected, didn't you? So you were sort of fine in that regard, even if the health of the government was, uh, you know, reduced. Um, what about Boris then? Because uh, Gove stabbed Boris in the back, but you're, you know, you're not Boris's biggest fan. I mean, there must have been part of you when Gove stabbed him that you were quite pleased about. No, I don't, and again, in the same way as Gove, prior to that, I had, um, I didn't know, I don't know either of them. I didn't have much of an opinion other than. Um, Boris clearly has charisma and leadership skills that most of us, um, and his ability to connect with the public, that most of us can only dream about. But it's when I see veil, um, unveiled ambition, I can't stand that. Yeah. I just, this is public service. Just get over yourself. <laughs> I just, it, it brings the heckles up on the back of my neck because this should be... Um, your head should be down. You are working to serve the people who have elected you. It should not be about your own power, desires, and wish to be Prime Minister at any cost. I'm not even convinced Boris was a lever, yeah. if I'm honest. But it was all about swinging wherever the, the popular wind was going, um, and I can't stand that. Can you forgive it? Um, I think... Um, well, politics is this funny old thing. What's hot today is kind of forgotten three weeks later because something bigger explodes. Um, we, we jostle around... Well, who, what's for me to forgive? I mean, we're all jostling around in this party and some of us will rise and some of us will fall. Um, I don't... Um, the sort of leadership I would like to see in the party, I'd rather it was somebody like Ruth Davidson than Boris. I mean, Ruth Davidson... Do you think... I mean, how close are you to her? Do you, do you talk to her? I, no, I don't know at all. I'm not connected to I know, or I'll introduce you. Please but, uh, do that. Please do that. If it comes to me having to sort of organise the next Tory leadership bid, it really is you know, it's a very sorry state. But um, 
What the great thing she's got apart from a great personality, she's far sharper than her sort of softer side makes. I think people underestimate her. Is because she's in Scotland. She's got absolutely no Westminster baggage at all. No. She's been able to be a prominent Tory that's basically not been held to account, and she's not in government in Scotland anyway. So she's she's in a very sweet spot. And she, I suppose, it would involve well, it would necessarily involve her standing for a Westminster seat. Yeah. I don't think it's... I think she's... Um, the impression I get is she discounted it heavily before because I think she wants to get Scotland sort of safe um, and she's obviously started that with a great result in the general election last year with um, this new bunch of young Tory MPs at there. But I think she probably wants one more go at stabilising that and then I think she probably would think about it because for her, it is public service. And if she thinks she is the best person to do the job, um, then I suspect then she'll step forward. Do you take any... I mean, the sort of... Far fringes of the nationalist movement in Scotland aside, and the, the eccentricity that goes with that. Do you, I mean, do you look at Scotland as a good example of an improved discourse? Do you look at the Ruth Davidson, Nicola Sturgeon for a while, yeah, Kezia Dugdale, yeah, female leaders of the three major parties there? Is Sturgeon an inspiration in any sort of way? Um, I think she's another one who is. Um, so yeah, to women um, and to young girls, I suspect most definitely, she's a great communicator. She's very professional, very slick, um, but yet has that approachable aspect to her. I mean, clearly, I don't, um, I don't love her policies or, or what the SNP stand for um, because they are, when I see them operate in Westminster, um, they are very blinkered. Every sentence ends up with whatever the topic might be, independence for Scotland. So I feel for the people of Scotland, they're only delivering half of, um, of their responsibilities. Um, but I think certainly um, she will have provided... Um, impetus for young women. Well, we all have to do that. Um, not even just young women, but people from backgrounds that would not traditionally have thought of politics. The point is, anybody can... You know, I had no intention of doing this at all. And from a standing start, not a member of a party, from the spring of 2012 um, to May 2015, I was in one of the safest Tory seats in the country. So the point is, the parties, they're all open. Democracy is open. And I think anybody like her, I don't care what party they are, if they inspire people to come in, because that's how we will get that better balance in Parliament. I'm just trying to think of the, the political events in the period which you described, which would have made you want to stand for Parliament. Um, so this is... Cameron had just uh, formed a coalition in 2010. Mm -hmm. So it's coalition years. And I thought that went quite well. Actually. Yeah, that was... You know, I could see the appeal of that. 2012, the Olympic. Was that... The Olympics, basically, it was what politicised you and then you wanted to stand for... <laughs> it was uh, slightly before. It was not quite as exciting as Olympics. It was the Tottenham riots in 2011. Yes, I did know that. So when you, when you saw that, what... I mean, it, <laughs> what made you look at that and think, I want to be a Tory MP? Uh, well, there was um, a fairly large glass of wine involved at the time. <laughs> um, just shouting at the TV every night. Night after night after night after night. I'm very patriotic. I love my country. I cry again. British Airways, tail fin. I don't know why. It just makes me cry. Um, <laughs> what? You can't yeah, it does. I thought you were going to say that. I going to say like... To, to be fair, I would have had quite a lot of gin if I'd been on a plane because I'm not a good flyer, so maybe that is part of the reason. I, I don't know. Like but... Chris Hoy or... Like... <laughs> no, no, tail fin and British, those British Airways adverts. Don't they get you? No? I, like the, I like the song, Aria on Air. I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, did buy, I bought the single. Well, there um... you go, then. You see? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm taking the piss. I've got the album. <laughs> not just me. Anyway, I'm very patriotic, and I just saw my country being smashed up in front of me, and um, just total breakdown between society and rule of law, or whatever you might want to call it. Yeah. And economically, we were in an absolute mess. And, and that, 
my appeal is when things are in a mess. If I see an untidy room, I want to get in there and tidy it, much to the annoyance of my husband. Um, and I just, I just I got angry, and I thought, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. The business was in a good place. Um, and I don't know, I just wanted to do something. So you're a patriot, um, and obviously this isn't inconsistent, and a lot of us would identify this, patriotic, you cry at British Airways planes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, just on that alone, I would have said... That makes me a you, You've got to be yeah. a lever of the highest order. If you're crying at British Airways, then, like... You're, to, you know, you're more Brexit-y but, than Farage. No, but you can... That, that, I suppose that pride in Britain is because of how um, welcoming and passionate and our sarcasm and our, our humour and the fact that we help our neighbour and we help out and we share and we collaborate and we muck together when the odds are against us because we are a team. And I love that about Britain, that we... Ha we, you know, we if I've got a bit of something and you're, you're without, I will share with you. Um, and I love that about Britain, um, and that is the opposite of the right wing. I love how multicultural we are. Um, I love, um, and I miss the fact, you know, Phil and I, obviously, I live in, I stay in London during the week, but our home is in South Cambridge now. I miss that buzz of London, of on the tube train, every race, nationality, language, personality, gender. It's just that mix, that welcome, comfortable mix. I love it, and that's Great Britain, and it, it will remain Great Britain. But there's obviously there's a distinction isn't there, between patriotism and, and nationalism. Mm, yeah, you, very much. You probably say that you're not a nationalist. I would I'm, say I'm, I'm, not. I'm patriotic. I watch Stuart Pearce penalties, you know, all the time. Not <laughs> um, <laughs> England shirts. I'm genuinely like I'm a I'm a, a British patriot. I'm an English patriot. How did you, you do in that quiz yourself? That whole Labour quiz earlier with the the flags. Did you? Oh, the fl the right I have question? to say, well, I used to fly the flag. Um, when I was uh, as a child, when the tournaments were on. So for France '98, I made a massive England flag out of one of my mum's double bed sheets. So I got. <laughs> she was pleased. I got a white double bed sheet and I got a roller with red gloss paint. Nice. So it looks quite sort of punky, and I hung it out of her bed. She was livid when she got home. <laughs> she was like, the house had been taken over by a gorilla. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was like the opposite way around. I, I didn't see my dad growing up, and then I was like a, a, you, well, a, a child for justice. Uh, so I was, I was climbing up and putting these, uh, <laughs> hanging these flags. And um, I always, I quite, during a tournament, I like it. I love it, and hopefully during the World Cup this summer, seeing the England flags everywhere. Even someone who, you know, buys the England kit and loves Stuart Pearce and all that, I still have to admit that outside of a tournament, if I do see an England flag... Instinctively, I'm probably more likely to wonder but than I would a flag of any other country, including any other home nation. But, but did, and I know that's wrong. Well, no, but we did, need to own it. But did we all? Did we always used to feel like that, or has it just is it UKIP? Is that's what made us think? Did we used to think about England flags in that way, or has it become a symbol because of everything that's gone with it? I don't know. But the England flag wasn't really flown until sort of Euro '96, sort of like seven. It used to be Union Jacks and things like that, and then the distinct. Probably the divergence of the UK through devolution was part of that, as, as well as football culture. But I still do, you know, I want to think, I bet he's a football fan just like me, but I don't. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> you know, I do think, oh, God. You know, you just think, oh, I hope, I hope he's just sat there watching Stuart Pearce video. And it's interesting that I say he, because I imagine yeah, they are yeah. predominantly men doing it. And if they don't got, all have white vans either. You know what, actually, hanging outside of a window, fine, on a flagpole, Definitely a message. <laughs> oh, if you've got a flagpole, any fl I mean, and I would apply that to any nationality. If you've got a flagpole for I it, do you've find gone flag too poles far. A bit odd. <laughs> the level of maintenance required. You stick it through your window. That's it. <laughs> you see a lot of EU flags actually around these days, which I quite like. So that's different. I like that. 
But if, if it's got a flagpole, if you haven't to polish it... Slightly permanent fixture, isn't it? I find flags a bit strange. Yeah, there's almost a sort of sense of territory then, isn't there? Kind of... If someone's got a flagpole, I'd also presume they're armed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they've definitely got a shooter. Our next-door neighbour's got a flag. Phil, we need to check that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the parish council as well. Uh, oh, God. Oh, God, what party? Oh, we do have parties on parish councils. Don't you not Well, well actually, in South Camps, are probably all Tory, but... Um, <laughs> of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, would anyone here fly the England flag during the tournament this summer? No. No. Fair point. Just me. Just <laughs> out my bedroom window. But it's almost like putting the bunting up, isn't it? It's like putting the Christmas tree lights on. Now I quite like the kind of, oh, get me kit, my panini stickers. <laughs> I can't be the only one doing the... Again, oh. that's just you, I think. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know, I think it's become a thing, hasn't it? But, um, no, I'm, you know, I've got a... I, I, my mum was German, so um, I don't know anything else other than European. I mean, that's what I grew up with, so... And she must have been... Was she devastated by Brexit? Um, not devastated, I think a bit confused. Um, but I think she probably figured I was in there, I was going to sort it out. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's OK, Heidi Suzanne will do it. Uh, right, we'll open up the uh, floor to some questions. So if we can just have the house lights up a little bit. We've got a roving mic that Jules is going to come around with. Uh, so I shall uh, look to this part of the room. Yes, the lady at the front here, the mic will come to you. If you just let us know your name before you ask the question. Uh, and if we can ask for... One sentence questions, one sentence answers, okay. and then we can get sure. on as many people as possible. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hello. Um, if you could pick for, let's say, your guaranteed 10 years in any of the departments where you could be Secretary of State, and there's no um, chance of you being Prime Minister, although I'm sure that's not true, um, so you don't have to worry about like status or career, what would you pick? DWP. Oh, really? Why? Um, it, it's funny, because... Oh, I'm not going to do this in one sentence, am I? Oh, it's fine. It's, it's okay. fine. Um, because, well, it's funny because so many MPs seem to find the DDP really dull because it's like job centre and benefits and concrete buildings and pensions. But, but benefits and pensions touch everybody's life at some point. I don't think there's any bigger responsibility than how the state cares for you when you need it. So I just think it's the most important department there is. Not many people would... I mean, not even Labour people would want working pensions. I know, it's like just not sexy, is it? But I love it. It's not, it's not just that. It's problematic. Stuff goes wrong. It's, yeah, but it's that's, bureaucratic. But, but, it's, but it's touching people's lives. Get it right. That's right, but don't be the person in charge of it. <laughs> 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 that's, that's a completely different problem. <laughs> uh, right, anyone else from this section? Yes, the gentleman there. Hi, uh, my name's Adrian. Um, I have to say, you're very engaging... Uh, totally charming, so much so you would even persuade me to buy snake oil. But not even you can persuade me that Theresa May is compassionate, having seen <laughs> how she has behaved in relation to the Windrush and all the uh, policies that she forced through, sending these people back because she wants to bring the numbers down. It's irrelevant about the numbers. If these people have a right to stay here, end of story. And she didn't do that. She sent out a van saying, go home. So, so the question anyway, is... Uh, so the question is, how do you think she's compassionate? OK. <laughs> <laughs> so the first part of that sentence was going really well, but I sensed there was a book coming at some point. <laughs> um, because I suppose I see her one-to-one. -one. And, and this is the difficulty of, of, of politicians, um, people seeing them as human beings. You know, I, I, as I say, I saw how touched she was by the Hillsborough, how determined she is. Um, to stand up for people who are really struggling. 
how um, her entire raison d'etre is to fight for the underdog. She's just not a naturally passionate communicator. But she didn't fight for the underdog. These people have been sent home. She should have said, I'm sorry, you have a right to stay. I don't care about the numbers. You have a right to stay. You're staying. And she didn't. No, but I suppose, and you know, not making excuses for any of it, but when you're the Home Secretary, you're not the one looking at the paperwork in front of you. So if her Home Office staff, um, you know, these people had no papers because somebody had made a decision way back when to destroy them, then it's, it's the computer saying no, isn't it? It's not Theresa May saying no. So you say, OK, they don't have to pay quite as big compassion and let them stay until we can sort this problem out. OK. No, question time next week comes from Peterborough and on the panel will be... <laughs> Uh, right, is there anyone else in this uh, group that would like to ask a question, this part of the audience? No, anyone from over here? It's the lady at the front. For a Tory MP, you actually do seem very in touch with the little man as you've described him. Do you have an LK Bennett account? <laughs> I could never fit into any of their clothes. They'd be ridiculous. They're all about this big. Do you have an LK Bennett account? Is that LK Bennett's clothes, right? Or clothes shoes? and shoes, I think, isn't it? Oh, oh, oh Amber Rudd has oh, yes, an LK Bennett right. account. Yes, you're right. I didn't know that she'd said that. I did buy some shoes for there once in a sale. I remember. That's more in touch. Is it, well, the, quite a bargain actually. I got two pairs. Um, <laughs> but but no, the clothes. I mean, just no. I'm Marks and Spencer's girl. Yeah, that's not. The, but Marks and Spencer stuff, high quality, and it lasts. Online, it comes in three days, <laughs> and you can buy a thousand sizes and colours, and then send it all back. I remember being at a working men's club in Mansfield once and uh, these two blokes were arguing about Marks and Spencers and one says, I don't, I don't um, shop in Marks and Spencers after what they did to my dad and they'd let off, apparently they'd made loads of people in Nottinghamshire redundant. So, yeah, you're right, I don't shop there no more and they're all agreeing how they don't shop there anymore and one of them just went, yeah, but the food is good. You go there to get his beetroot. <laughs> right, is there anyone else over here that would like to ask a question? Yes, the gentleman over there. If you can find the, uh, the microphone. Hi, um, my name's Gordon. You identified uh, the reasons that made you um, a Conservative or Tory. Are there any of the many achievements of the Blair New Labour government that Not you often a Scottish guy called Gordon will say that. <laughs> <laughs> Blair Brown. <laughs> government that you would oppose. I'm, I'm just trying to get a, a, a kind of sense of... Is there really a political difference between you and New Labour? Um, probably not. Is that a wrong answer? No, it's a great um, answer. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's never wrong to disagree with the best government of all time. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't we all just want kind of middly people, really? Yeah. But the ones that are charismatic and kind of look good in a suit and tan well. <laughs> if I shot to LK Bennett, you see, I'd be getting the outfit right. Maybe there's hope. Well, is there anyone on the balcony? Yes, there's a man on the balcony who's waving. This will be the last oh. question. And as a result, will be the best question of the night. Guaranteed. No pressure. He's not going to ask anything. He's just throw here something. The, here comes the microphone. Here we go. Thank you. Uh, the name's Gary. Uh, Pensions-related question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. Really What's your right, national okay. insurance number? Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know it, I know it. P purported to be the least sexy uh, subject to talk about, but nevertheless, auto-enrolment having been quite a great success, how much discussion is there about that um, being put 
beyond the 8% limit next year? And do you believe it should? <laughs> That's a proper policy question. Nobody wants to run the DWP. I find that a very interesting question, actually. Um, um, I think, to be fair, the focus is probably more on getting self-employed people to autumn enrol because they're a bit forgotten about. Um, so that's certainly on the Work and Pension Select Committee. That's been one of our recommendations. Um, but ultimately, yes, we need to get the amount up as well. So, Gary, can I check? What, what's your angle on this? Do you work? <laughs> I run a business for employee benefits, and we have about a thousand companies that we look after their workplace pensions for. And do you think auto enrolment's a bad idea? Do I think it's a great them? idea, particularly for the younger generations who are alien to pensions, have fathers that tell them pensions are a waste of time, and now they will spend 30 or 40 years with pension contributions, whether they like it or not. No one ever complained of having too much money in retirement. Gary, could you be our guest next month? <laughs> <laughs> Gary, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, That's a definite high. <laughs> that was great. Proper policy wonk stuff. That was great. Didn't understand the word. I don't knew the answer as well. <laughs> it is, yeah. uh, well, this has been absolutely superb. It's flown by, Heidi. Thank you so it much has. for coming. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, before we go, please thank everyone who works here at the other palace and Avalon for making tonight possible. <laughs> Uh, thank you all of you for coming. It's been, this has been one of the best ones we've had in ages. It was superb. And I always say that, but it's always true. But it is always true. And uh, next month, we have a bit of a different guest. Founder of Momentum, John Landsman, will be here. Oh, and the month after, Mr Plebgate, Andrew Mitchell. Oh, cool. And later in the year, David Blunkett's agreed to do it, and I've got some more guests to announce for later in the year. Um, but for now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming, and please give a massive political party thank you to the amazing Heidi Allen. There you go, Heidi Allen. Oh, you just, I hope so much that she ends up in ministerial office with that attitude and with that personality, and that she can take that honesty and that frankness into into high office. I think we'd all be better off for it. Um, and in all parties for, for that approach. And you do just hope that um, things change a little bit. I often think with all this talk about renewing the centre and refreshing the centre, and obviously, I don't know what your politics are, people will perhaps not be that bothered about refreshing or renewing the centre, but it's not always about policy. Obviously, that is arguably the most important thing, but it is about the manner in which you do it. It is about the way you speak. It is about the way that people perceive you. Uh, and that there's so many bits throughout the interview where, you know, she's just completely honest. And that, even on these shows, th th that level of honesty is, is sometimes quite rare, so it's just brilliant. Um, I'm on tour at the moment, which, again, I haven't shut up about, but I'm coming to a town near you. I'm in sale on the 2nd of May, which I've only just realised is, is basically Manchester. So if you're in the northwest, the Manchester area, I'm in Manchester on the 2nd of May, which is next week at the Waterside Arts Centre. I'm in Tiverton, which is down the other end of the country, two days later. So whoever booked that has got a uh, death wish on the 4th of May. I mean, uh, so 4th of May in Tiverton. I mean, on the 18th of May, I'm in Loughborough in the Victoria Rooms. That is my only date in the East Midlands on this tour. So if you're Nottingham Derby way uh, or Leicester way, then that's, um, that's your only chance to, to come and see the show. Uh, that's the 18th of May. Um, at uh, the Loughborough Victoria Room. I'm in Canterbury on the 23rd of May at the Marlow Theatre, Cheltenham on the 28th of May at the Town Hall, Chippenham on the 2nd of June, Stockton on the 8th of June, and 
I'm, well, I'll be then getting ready for Edinburgh. I'm doing the Edinburgh Festival again in August with my new show, Brexit Through the Gift Shop. Um, I can't decide whether that's a good title or not, but the deadline's gone now, so that's what I'm calling it. Um, so if you can come to any of those shows, that'd be great. As always, if you could subscribe, review, share, and all that malarkey, that'd be very helpful. And if you could vote for us in the British Podcast Awards, I'd be very grateful. Just go to British Podcast Awards britishpodcastawards.com and vote for the political party in the listener's choice. So many great guests coming up. Oh, my God. Not just in the live shows, but guests on the weekly show that really... Oh, my word. It's just... I'm very excited about the coming months. Um, I'll be doing a couple of political parties in Edinburgh as well. Anyway... I will stop waffling on. Thanks for listening to this. Thank you to Heidi Allen for being such a superb guest, and I'll see you next week. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.